Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Out to Be podcast. I am your host, Katie Zaccardi, and today's guest is my friend and fellow artist, Paulina Vo. Paulina is an indie R&B, pop, soul, singer, songwriter, and producer based in Brooklyn. She was born in New Orleans to Vietnamese American immigrant parents and eventually lived in more than five states. Her experience is exactly what we talk about in this podcast episode and have molded her sound in music and her music career. So I'm really excited for this conversation. We talk all about what it's like to be a child of immigrant parents. We talk about bullying. We talk about depression. We talk about languages and music and how all of that stuff affects you when you're growing up. And it's a really great episode, not only for people who either are children of, you know, immigrant parents or grandparents, whether you are of Asian descent because Pauline is Asian and that comes up as a theme several times throughout the episode based on her experience that she had in school, whether you are a singer-songwriter, whether you have experienced depression, whether you were bullied, or maybe you were the bully, I don't know, I'm not here to judge. Whatever your experience was, I know that there is something you're going to be able to relate to in this episode, and even if you can't relate to all of it, there's a lot to learn here. So I'm super pumped for this episode. It's a little different from what we've been having on the podcast recently. This is really just a conversation between Paulina and I, and Paulina really, really sharing her story of growing up and what she went through and how all of that led her to the music career that she has now. So let's dive in. Hey, Paulina, and welcome to the Out to Be podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I am so happy you're here. I say that about everyone, but you and I have been friends for some time now. So today I'm really pumped because we're just going to talk. We're just going to have a freaking conversation and just like talk it out. (laughs) And I can't wait to learn even more about you. So for the listeners, you are an artist and you also work in the tech industry. So I want to talk about though. I want to like, just like let go of form and just go way back and talk about how you grew up, like who you are and how you kind of became the person that you are. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if we can summarize that in something that isn't a completely long rant. Um, (laughs) You can rant. It's fine. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah. So let's see, let's go in from childhood. So I was born in New Orleans and my parents uh, immigrated over here from Vietnam in late seventies, early eighties. Um, I wish I knew the exact date. I'm pretty sure it's like 79. And we immigrated from Vietnam to Boston or somewhere around Massachusetts and then lived in New Orleans for 13 years. And um, I was born there. And then so from there, we moved a lot. Um, I think I moved, gosh, I've counted so many times, but I think I've lived in like six states and I never lived in one spot for longer than three years. I think like I figured that out one day, which was crazy. Um, So switched schools a lot just met a ton of people from different places all along like the southern part of the United States. So I always say I'm from like the west coast and then just like the bottom half of the states. I think about all the the people I've met and like all the uh, relationships I've built and it's kind of crazy. Um, I didn't speak English until I was seven. So Vietnamese was my first language, which was tough. And I lived in like New Mexico when I didn't speak English. And you know, we're all like children <laughs> at that point, but I remember getting pretty heavily bullied right off the bat. Um, something that I've worked out with my therapist, which is nice. She pointed out to me, you know, oh, you were bullied, like that's terrible. And on top of it, you couldn't like communicate. And I was like, oh my God, 
<laughs> like that's a hundred percent correct. I never yeah. even thought about that, you know, cause I understood them for the most part, or I understood what like being mean meant, but I didn't understand how to like communicate back and, and defend myself or, or say anything. So how did you manage school if you didn't speak English until you were seven? Could you understand the teacher, but you just couldn't really speak back or? So that's a funny question because I think about that a lot. And I, according to everyone, no, like I couldn't understand a lot. So I was like an ESL. But also when I think about like movies and TV shows that were popular when we were younger, uh, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I, like remember the images, but I don't remember the dialogue because I probably didn't understand what they said. And that's like something I'm constantly like laughing about because yeah. my partner will be like, oh yeah, you remember like Land Before Time? And I'm like, yeah, I love that, that, that like part of the movie. And then he'll be like, and then they said this. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's where that memory ends for me. Um, but I mean like some English, right? I want to dive deeper. Like what was it like being raised by an immigrant family and having to adjust and taking like a long period of your childhood to still be adjusting to American culture and learning English and all of that stuff. How has that really impacted you? It's something I think about a lot and something I think I didn't really quite grasp until I got a little bit older. And I always say like, oh, I grew up in a bicultural household and like that kind of like shapes my decision making or shapes my, um, really anything I do, which is really interesting. Yeah, I always say I relate m way more to like children of immigrant parents than I do just like, oh, you're in, like another Asian person. Like, I, obviously I relate to them, but way more to just immigrant kids. And we all kind of have the same story, right? Like you have the expectation of, you know, pursuing your parents' dream, you know, like making them proud and having a good job and going to school and maybe not finishing school like some people um, that's me. Um, and and having that career and like really just being happy right like that's why your parents come to the states is, is to give you a different world a different life um so growing up in that was interesting like my parents used to be really strict um so i have two older sisters and with the oldest sister they were very strict she like couldn't do what she wanted she like was had to like watch me and my sister um, had those responsibilities and then took care of the house and then like had to go to pharmacy school even though she wanted to be a fashion designer you know it's like she got stuck with that stereotypical like Asian family stuff and then shit hit the fan which we can discuss but she hit the fan and then my uh, middle sister and I were able to kind of like well it was more like my middle sister was like <laughs> I could do whatever I want and then by the time I was you know their age they were just like dude just like as long as you're not dead that's great <laughs> like as long as you're not in rehab I think we're pretty happy um yeah so up to that point I would say that like it was confusing and just to jump straight to it too it's like it was embarrassing right like when I was in elementary school um specifically because obviously you're different and then on top of it we had gone from like being kind of well off to being way more low income and I didn't recognize that at first like that didn't occur to me like I was like just going to school and living my life and being a kid and um, we lived in New Mexico at the time and then I, we moved to Florida and like a bunch of stuff had happened prior to that where we lost a lot of money and then so therefore we were like in this low income housing and um, at first it was fine because we lived in this big neighborhood, but I'm pretty sure we had like a subsidized apartment within like the more expensive apartment complex. 
And, you know, when you have that, like, you don't really think you're that different, right? Because you're like, oh, yeah, I still live in like this nice neighborhood. And because we were well off, and, and I don't want to say this is like very Asian, I think this is the case across the board, but it is kind of Asian. You know, you have like a lot of face value, right? You have like what you wear and how you look and like how much gold you have. Like, that's like, gold is so funny. But, that's, <laughs> you know, and, and that was something that was instilled in me very young without me I think really knowing it right so then when I go to this place and I go to my new elementary school and you know we're in this new environment I'm thinking oh we're in the same place right like obviously that doesn't really hit me and then over time basically I'm getting bullied at school for being different already which was so annoying and I lived in Florida which like when you say being different do you mean just like being Asian or just that okay because I'm like did they know that your family like had immigrated or they it was just like the the uh, outside like what you looked like it 100% was that and what's so funny is I lived in Orlando and Orlando is actually like pretty diverse and I didn't realize that growing up I think I didn't realize that until I was like in high school and I moved again but it was pretty diverse, meaning like the school had like a ton of like Latinx, like Asian kids. Well, not a ton of Asian kids, like six of us, but like Asian kids, like, you know, like Arabic kids, like it had like the whole gamut of kids. And I still was getting made fun of in the way mm-hmm. that, you know, we were the one of the five Asian kids. And, and like, it was really interesting, you know, people used to do the whole like, holding their eyes back and saying like I hate saying this because it's so dumb but like when you hear it it's even dumber and it kind of is funny like people would be like ching chong bing bong and I'd be like that is what is that (laughs) they'd be like yeah you're Chinese I'm like yeah oh my god it was it was so funny like at first you know you can ignore it but then like over time when they when kids continue to do that people around you continue to make these comments you it starts you know like chipping away at your fucking being yeah I totally hear that. I mean, even today, sometimes I'll experience it. You know, when you just have that one person who like takes one funny circumstance or not funny circumstance, but even if it is like a funny, lighthearted thing that happened or like you made a mistake or you said something kind of silly and then they just like repeat it to you over and over and over again every time they see you. And even if the actual thing, like it doesn't bother you when somebody's constantly making a point to like, say something that they think is like, haha, you did this, you're a little stupid, or you made a mistake. It's like, oh my God, just shut the fuck up. Stop. Like <laughs> absolutely. Right. So I think it's it's funny that you say you look back now and you're like, it's funny, but totally, especially when you're a kid and somebody's just like constantly repeating something to you that you just don't understand why they're saying this. It's yeah. it's so frustrating and so just like upsetting. It, it's, uh, that like literally is 100% correct because regardless of whether or not it was because I was Asian, like it's just across the board, right? Like kids get bullied for, you know, kids are mean, you know, back, you know, when they're young. And it's like, you know, you can find anything to make fun of glasses, like shorts, <laughs> like your shorts suck. You're like, why? And then they're like, your shorts sucked last year. They still suck now. And you're like, yeah. can you stop with the shorts thing? And then every day they're like, hey, stupid shorts. And you're like, please just like, let me be. <laughs> I hear I hear it's better. I hear it's better, by the way. But yeah, no, it was definitely pretty interesting back then. Obviously, this was before like anti-bullying, right? This is like in the 90s. And so, um, yeah, so that was like an experience that I had a lot. And so in that, I kind of actually ended up really 
obsessing over music. And I, I actually like think about that in terms of, you know, you know, when you're like really, obviously when you're a child and you're like, I really want to be this thing. It's like you obsess over it, right? Like you, you learn everything about it. You're like, I literally learned the entire baby one more time dance when I was a safety patrol in my elementary school and I was like positioned in the back of the school. So I used to like go over the choreography in my head over and over again. And I did that for months. And I think about that now and I'm like, that's so fucking weird. Like, why did I do that? Why no, did I that's learn? not weird at all. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, why did I learn this fucking dance? Um, yeah, like that. And like, I was already songwriting, you know, like I was writing really shitty love songs and you know, singing in sync all the time and just singing all the time. And, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways that like escapism from both the bullying and then, you know, what was going on at home was definitely like, okay, that's like what was like, oh, this is my safe space. It's like, this is where I can go to like really be who I think I am and, and, and express myself. So it's interesting because that follows me through my life, but especially in that time frame, you know, I think transitioning and not knowing what that transition was right so like learning english moving a lot so at that point i had already moved like four times right five times and i'm what six seven eight you know i'm like a kid and then on top of that adjusting to new school and family stuff was happening and then you know what i mean like it's just like accumulation of just everything happening in middle school or in elementary school that's like it always blows my mind that's happening because you know when you meet kids you're like oh your life like I hope you're like happy, you know, like I hope nothing's happening to you right now, eight year old, because like you're so sweet and tender. <laughs> Please don't, you know, I hope nothing's, you know, fucking up your life. But the reality is like that happens a lot. Right. So it's just an interesting um, realization over time that I've had about that time frame. And though, so from there, like I, I went to a different middle school from everyone else and we moved to a different neighborhood. So that transition was interesting, meaning that's when I was like, oh, we're like in like a lower income neighborhood. And, you know, at this time, you know, my dad's like always worked really hard for us and was like working his full time job like and beyond. And uh, my older sister had stayed on the West Coast. She got married and, and was doing her thing and trying to, you know, start her life with her husband, my brother in law. And my other sister was like, such a such a rascal uh, she, was, <laughs> classic crazy. middle child honestly and she no we don't stereotype on this podcast we don't stereotype <laughs> that's right that's right I know yeah that's right it, she but she did like she did it all you know she like ran away from home and like did all the like high school things like going to parties and fucking doing a ton of drugs and like dropping out like she did all that stuff like and uh in that time like we have a wonderful relationship. Like I, I loved my sisters, both of them. Mm -hmm. So they were like kind of a rock for me because um, both my parents are working. And even during elementary school, like my sister would come pick me up because my dad like got off work at, you know, fucking four o'clock and, you know. And so we moved into this neighborhood. I started a new middle school and like, it becomes very apparent to me that I'm from the poor neighborhood, right? Like mm, okay. the middle school I went to was, in a nice area of Orlando and like a lot of rich kids like went to the school. It was like the rich middle school, I guess you can say. Um, so that's really when I was like, oh shit, like my clothes suck. I smell like, you know, like I smell Asian. You know, that's the thing. Um, I, uh, 
I, you know, I, I'm different. Like, you know, like it all happens in middle school. And I'm like, cool. That was tough. That was definitely like its own thing. And I'm so thankful for all of that now, like as an adult. But one specific thing that happened, so the, the Asian thing obviously kept happening, right? So I remember I was like in history class and we talked about the Vietnam War. I was so empowered after that, right? Because I was like, wow, we're like talking about my family and like where we came from. My history teacher was amazing. She like really was like, oh, wow. If you're comfortable sharing something, I don't know, do you want to like tell us some Vietnamese words or whatever, like just trying to consider it. Mm -hmm. And so I felt empowered after that. I think I told, I taught everyone how to count to 10 and everyone was like, whoa, that language is crazy. And so after school that day, the guy that, one of the guys that kept bullying me, he did his thing. He pulled his eyes back and he was like, and I was like, dude, I literally said, I was like, I'm not even Chinese. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I mean, I'm like, I'm a quarter Chinese or half Chinese, but still, I was like, I'm not, yeah. I don't speak that language. Yeah. And I was like, I'm Vietnamese. And I was like, do you know where Vietnam is on the world map? And he just like stared at me. And all the kids were like, oh shit. <laughs> and, I like, and I was just like, I thought so. I was like, next oh, time. Oh, burn. Yeah, I was like, next time you try to make fun of anyone, like, you should probably figure out where they're from first. And I just like left the bus. Oh. <laughs> My God, Mike dropped from Paulina. <laughs> and like, dude, after that, he was so nice. <laughs> Good. <laughs> no one, no one like ever, no one made fun of me after, or they would be like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened, like when they, we used to make fun of you, like it's really not that funny. <laughs> like, it's so interesting though that you kind of needed that moment of like some person in authority to empower you and like let you know that like it's okay to be who you are and then right after that you were able to just be like what we were saying before like shut the fuck up actually like and <laughs> leave me alone but yeah. you like that was like such a turning point that you finally had a teacher who wanted to like celebrate where you're from and then you realize you could do it too yeah 100 percent. and like you know you realize you're unique in a moment you know and everyone else is like oh what I'm like thinking about you is not right, you know? And, and it, it was just really interesting. Like it was, you know, I, I think in general, I think that's why like representation is important. I think that's why like having someone empower you is important as a kid, especially if like you're bullied or if you are made fun of. Um, yeah, I think like representation in the media is big for that reason too, is because like if I had seen, you know, if everyone had seen mm -hmm. like an Asian idol or an Asian person yeah. in the spotlight in celebrity that played non-Asian like characters, like literally what's happening today, you know, mm -hmm. um, it'd be totally different. So yeah, yeah, that was an interesting experience, but that, I would say like, that's like my, my moment of just like, Oh man, that was like a moment I stood up for myself and like, yeah, I was so young. I was, I was like sixth or seventh grade. He actually stopped bullying a lot of kids. It, Cause like after that, I think he made fun of someone else. And I was like, dude, what did we talk about? <laughs> I think I said something to the effect of like, I'm still making fun of people. <laughs> and he was like, oh yeah. I mean, who knows what was happening in his life, right? Like, I'm Yeah, exactly. You can't know. You mentioned too that during the same time you were like dancing to Britney and getting into music. So that was like the start of your music, but how did that evolve to what it is today? Oh man. I mean, Spice Girls was my first um, true love. Yeah, I know. Now, if you're a 90s kid, you get it. I used to watch the Spice Girls movie like every day. So that's oh, fine. Oh my God. <laughs> my love of pop was like, I still love pop. Right. Yeah. Listened and, and sang to all the instinct of Backstreet and Britney records. And 
um, even when I was younger, um, before I fully knew English, I actually started singing when I was, um, I think like three or four. We had a karaoke machine and we had like laser discs, like actual like big gold laser discs that they had back in the day. And so I used to sing Vietnamese songs and uh, like perform for like my family, aka like I was just singing and I thought it was like fun. And then my mom would be like, oh, my friends are over, you should perform that song or oh, this is so cute, you know, watch my daughter do this thing. So I think about that moment a lot and I'm like, what, why did that do something to me? Like, why was that something that I really enjoyed? And I was like, well, I was getting attention. That was nice. <laughs> also like, I couldn't really speak a language, but I was able to sing. So that was interesting. Um, and then from there, yeah, like discovering pop music and then being like, oh my God, like people do this, this is a fucking career. Like this isn't just like a laser disc karaoke machine thing. And then from there, I, that's when I started writing songs when I was like eight, did the dancing thing. Obviously I wanted to be in dance. And then I started playing guitar when I was 10. I like begged my dad for an instrument and I wanted a guitar because piano was normal and too girly. I wish I had played piano instead. Disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I regret everything. Um, <laughs> And wait, wait, like, I have a question before we go on. When yeah. you started writing songs, were you writing them in English or in Vietnamese? I was writing them in English, very oh, cool. English. Yeah, my first song is called Tell Me. Do you remember I, how it goes? Oh my god, no. I have a, <laughs> a lyric. I definitely wrote this when I was eight because I spent an entire summer creating choreograph like choreography. <laughs> yeah, and I was like... I think you maybe missed a career opportunity to be a choreographer. <laughs> very, like, very not impressive choreographer. Um, <laughs> so... The language thing was interesting because like when I was like six or seven, I just like very much rejected Vietnamese, right? Which there was like an article I read about it. It's like language is that interesting where you can reject it. And especially when you're young and it's like not healthy to do that, obviously. Where I just was like, I'm only speaking English. Like I'm not going to speak Vietnamese. And so it quit. It was very quick, right? It, it was like a very quick transition that suddenly I was only speaking English. And so, yeah, I wrote everything in English. And when I picked up guitar, my dad, oh my God, I have to share this. My dad was in a Beatles cover band when he lived in Vietnam. Oh and my God. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> he played bass. So my dad taught me like E minor and F, you know, he knew those two chords. And then from there, I like didn't know what tabs were because this is also like pre like internet really. And um, we had the internet, but I didn't know anything about like tabs and all that stuff. And um yeah, I just like wrote a bunch of shitty songs, meaning like I would make up chords on the guitar, I'm sure. Do you know about this? Did you do that too? Or were you like... I still do that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. No, me too. I'm like, oh, and then I realized I'm like, oh, this is actually like a chord. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what the F it is, but it sounds like it could work. <laughs> I like, it took me time to realize like, oh, I was actually making chords. <laughs> yeah, and then um, it accelerated... And basically, like, I just started writing a shit time. I recorded an EP over spring break in high school, and I recorded, like, a six-song EP, and I, like, burned it onto a CD, and, like, I used Microsoft Wave, and I used to, like, layer my harmonies with Microsoft Wave, and then I used a fucking computer mic to record this album. And I fucking went around high school, so I'm jumping forward to high school, went around and, like, gave it to everybody, and I'm sure it was terribly embarrassing, but it's okay. I still have friends that have it, too, and I really want to hear it. That's so <laughs> funny. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you did that. I've never heard of anyone doing anything like that. You just really you just really figured it out with the stuff that you had. This is such a weird, like, I don't know. I know a few people who, like, experience this as singers, but 
there was like an, a community. There was a, like this list and like people would do that. They would like record themselves on Microsoft Wave with a computer mic and like layer the vocals. And so I did that all throughout middle school. I would record like Britney songs and All Saints. I would record like NSYNC songs. I would record like all these songs and just put them online as like little wave things. I literally learned how to build websites so that I can put my these little clips online yeah it was just like oh I was already doing that and then I started writing songs and I was like well clearly this is how I'm gonna record my album you know um yeah it was crazy I think about that now and I'm just like what the fuck was that who am I what is that like why did I decide to do that but yeah and then it just kept going from there right and then like literally like 10 albums later I'm just like well that was cute you released 10 albums already I did not know that I think I'm on my, like, seventh one. But I include these EPs. This is my personal discography. This is not, like, the discography yes, yes, yes. people know. But you're still doing it now, and you're releasing amazing things and performing all over New York City. So, like, it all worked out. <laughs> it did work out. You're right. It's so funny, because you have such an expectation of what that looks like in the future, and, and um, it's not 100%, you know, always what you want. But at the same time, like, I think I'm even thankful to even have it, you know, at this point, which is yeah. really interesting. Um, yeah, it's a really, uh, obviously I love it. And it's crazy to think back. I really want to hear these EPs. Have you gotten voice lessons? Yeah. Okay. Did you get them like later or did you get them earlier when you were younger? When I was younger. I mean, when I was like, it was definitely in the 2000s, not the 90s, but I was still pretty young. Okay. So I didn't get voice lessons until I was 18. So like, okay. I, like no one wanted to pay for it. Basically, basically this music thing, my family was like, okay, this is really cute and stuff, but, like, what is this? Yeah. And uh, I couldn't get any lessons until I got older. And when I finally got my first job, literally the first thing I did was start voice lessons because I was like, I need this. Um, I forgot to mention, I was in choir in middle school, which was mm-hmm. awesome. So I think that really helped, like, give me some type, type of technique. Um, obviously, choir voice is different from regular voice. So in high school, I had a very, like, husky voice like you know what I mean like I was like singing down here because <laughs> I wanted to like sound older and I wanted to be like Schnagular uh, you know like a lot like Aretha Franklin I wanted to be like this diva so like I had this like lower voice and the first song I showed my sister that like I sang was Reflection by <laughs> Schnagular and my sister was like holy shit you can sing and I was like well um, <laughs> anyway so the first few songs are very my voice is sounds very different it's just not supported you know what I mean like it's just like me trying to sound like I have an alto voice and uh my voice is just like no it sounds fine like it just depends on what you're going for I'm like no no I want to go yeah. for the brighter more supported vocal yeah but at least now you know you how you can actually control your voice and choose how you want to sound <laughs> which makes a huge difference it's true and I think something that I realized later was that um you know, speaking Vietnamese, um, so this is interesting because this plays into this too. When you speak Vietnamese or like an Eastern language, you speak from the back of your throat and then Western languages and Western singing is in the front of your throat. Mm. So it's very bright. It's like right here, like right in the nose. Mm -hmm. And whereas like when you speak Vietnamese, it's like maybe a little bit more back here, you know, like it's, and so like growing up and speaking a different language and having that and realizing like oh I have like an eastern voice I don't have like a western voice and many people make comments to me like oh you should consider like learning how to sing western and it's it that's like a weird transition right because not being aware of that just loving to sing 
and then suddenly being told like, oh, hey, by the way, your Asian-ness affects you, comes back once again, <laughs> affects you again, and now you should sing with a different tone. So I had to train myself to sing with like a Western tone. It's so interesting. Yeah. Like my voice teacher was like, you don't have to do that. You know, she's like, it sounds really nice. She's like, but if you want to sing somewhere else, like that's also fine. Like we mm-hmm. can work on that. And then eventually it was just like, yeah, but I belt and like I sing really loudly and it's like, I have to control it. And like, I can't control that with the amount of air that I need, you know, lower in my chest. Like right. I need, I can only control it higher. Right. So when you first reached out to me to be on the podcast, the first thing that you said was depression sucks. Yes. And we've basically been touching on this throughout the podcast without outwardly acknowledging it. But when did you realize that you may have been struggling with depression and how has that made an impact in your life and your music career? Let's see. I definitely realized it when I was writing a lot, right? It comes out in my, it came out in my writing first. And I think high school was the first time I realized it um, because I had written this song. So I got really into Shakespeare because who doesn't? And my first English class loved that English teacher my uh, freshman year. And so I was already writing music. And then I just, honestly, that was like a very prolific time. So like 13 or 14, I wrote like 500 songs. Like it was just like fucking every day, multiple times a day, just like over and over and over again, staying up really late, even though I was in school, like on the weekend, staying in my room, like my, my sister and my brother-in-law were like, can you like leave? <laughs> And I'd be like, I will only leave to do a chore. <laughs> like, I am here, right? And, um, you know, just spending a lot of time by myself and just writing. And I performed one of the songs called Beneath My Skin. <laughs> Lincoln Park much. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I performed it because we had to do a project. And the project I did was, you know, you can, like, pick a book, like an autobiography, and then you, like, do the presentation. So what I did was... I read the Beatles autobiography and I like wrote a song during that process and I performed the song as part of my book report using some of the chords that the Beatles use, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And my English teacher was like, we should send you to the counselor. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like, I was just like, uh, she's like, everything okay at home. And I'm like, no, but how did you know? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I just sang a very happy song. How could you tell? Like, obviously now I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, <laughs> this poor child. Um, because, like, generally I'm, like, a happy person. Like, I'm pretty good at, like, being in the moment and, like, enjoying my time with people. And, yeah, I think that was the first time someone was like, ooh, <laughs> I knew something about that. Um, plus, <laughs> I was, like, writing on myself a lot. And I think that that, by the way, is such an indication, but I didn't know that. Um, because I just wanted tattoos. <laughs> So I just like draw stuff on myself and I didn't think anything of it. And then um, I got sent to the nurse because I had written on myself so much that um, my teachers were like, hey, you shouldn't do that. And like, you should go like wash that off and like make sure you wash it every day. And so it got to the point where like they were. Why why do you say that that's a sign though? I guess because like you were, it's like the initial step of like, also, again, 2000s, don't, yeah. like, you know, could mean something else. I think it's, like, the self-harm, you know, oh, kind of okay. sign, right? Because you're willing to, like, write on yourself. I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. But I would write on myself that I would, like, read, write it every day kind of thing. So it was, like, uh-huh. 
almost like a tattoo, but I like got to sent to the nurse because they were like, this girl's like writing her song. Wow. <laughs> like writing really depressing songs. <laughs> What's up? And um, so from there, um, the next year, my family issues had like kind of really surfaced and um, we dealt with addiction in the family. And um, it was like right at really the peak of what do we do? We're having like interventions. We're kicking people out of the house. It was like right all at this time. So then, man, so then like, like my sophomore year, I just, one day I just like couldn't handle it. So I like, which now I understand why I couldn't because it's fucking insane. But I like left class and I was just like in the hallway, just like fucking crying. Like, you know, like, you know, not being able to deal with it. And my choir teacher at the time, who wasn't my choir teacher, but he's my AP music theory teacher, amazing man. He came by and he was like, oh, 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 <laughs> you know, he's like, are you okay? Like, what's wrong? And I'm just like fucking bawling. And, he was, and I like, I don't even know if I told him what was going on. I was just kind of like, shit sucks. Like, I'm so, you know, sad and like depressed. And like, I think that's what this is. And like, shit's happening with my family, you know, the whole thing. And he was like, uh, we're going to send you to the counselor's office. <laughs> and from there, I talked with my counselor first time getting quote unquote therapy, meaning she was wonderful. And she was basically like opened her door to me at any time. So she'd be like, if you need to cry again, like come to my office and like, we'll talk through it. So I told her like what was going on with my family. And that was the first time she was like, you know, this is like affecting you, you know, like this is basically what I would call like a, a, a bit of a depression because of blah, blah, blah. Right. And then that was like the first time it like clicked. And, um, I was like, yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Um, I should probably mention too, that like my dad fought in the Vietnam war. So though he's never really like openly spoken about it, so I can't like give him a diagnosis. I'm pretty sure he has PTSD. Right. And there were many moments growing up where, um, he would like stare off and, you know, wouldn't be paying attention. And I think my sisters and I realized a lot older that that's what that was. And so in that moment when she said that, I was like, my dad, you know, I thought about that immediately. And then I thought of, oh my God, like my sisters, like, you know, they've probably had these moments and it just all kind of came at one time. Mm -hmm. And then plus my crazy mom, I was like, okay, yeah, this is like a fucking problem. Okay, cool. And uh, yeah, I just paddled with it ever since, right? Like when you find a name for it and you're like, oh, this explains my thoughts. This explains the days in bed. This explains, you know, the lack of motivation. You know, it, it just like starts, you get all these um, moments of realization. And I think at, at its peak was in college. Um, I, was at, I was in school full time. I was working full time. I was doing music as well. And like family stuff had kind of like not dissipated, but we were still healing and we had never gone to therapy. Like, I think I'm the only one in my family that's actually gone to therapy consistently. And there was like a a slew of a few months where I was like staying, I was going out with my friends and drinking beer and staying up until 4am and then like going to work the next day at eight, you know, and that was like consistent. And I was like missing school. This is like why I dropped out. Um, and then like I had this literally piled up. 
I had lost like my friend at the beginning of this year. And then uh, who was an ex-boyfriend, but like also ultimately like a really good friend of mine. And he like passed away. And then my cousin got into a car accident and he passed away. And then my uncle, and this was like all in one year. And my uncle passed away um, from cancer like three months later. So it was just like this chain of events. And then here I am like, you know, drinking all the time and not sleeping and, you know, writing music, but like half acidly, you know, kind of just trying to get shit out and then trying to go to school in my senior year, junior year, and then having a full-time job that had like sales expectations. Um, yeah, it's just like all those things at one time. And that was my lowest point, right? Like I was like pretty fucking low. And I was like, fuck, I gotta do something about this at some point. I, for I forget why I even thought about it. I think cause like, oh, I was fucking broke <laughs> on top of it. So I, uh, I was like, my credit was dying. You know, it was just like the, all of it just at one time. And um, I finally was like, I need to drop out. Like, I can't be here anymore. I can't like, I can only do one thing. And so I like went to a school counselor and like went to my first like three therapy sessions basically. And um, she was the first one that was like, dude, you've have, you're depressed. Like you have depression. Like this is the signs of. And it was the first time I had told anyone my story about like my family. And um, it was crazy. I was like, oh, this is what it's like to fucking talk about your feelings. That's cool. And then I started fucking telling everybody. I was like, oh, hey, I know we've been friends for like 13 years, but this is what's been happening. And they were all like, what the actual fuck, dude? Like, we had no idea, like, that you had any family issues. And I was like, yeah, man. And so, yeah, I would say that's like ultimately what made me realize what it was. And then that's when I started realizing, like, I need to cope with this because it's just like not going to solve itself overnight. Um, yeah, I've spent like the last decade kind of coping with it and going to therapy and trying to be healthy and understanding boundaries and knowing when to call it, you know, kind of thing. Um, and in music, it's been hard. Expectations sucks. Um, you want to live up to all these expectations and then your psyche is like, nah, let's, not, let's not do that, you know? It ebbs and flows. So like some months I'm fine and I can function and I'm doing music and I might have a bad day here or there. And then other months it's just like, fuck this. <laughs> like, why do we even fucking do this? You know, like, what's the point? You know, like, who am I doing this for? Like, is it actually for me or is it for an expectation of me? Um, and, then, and then it cycles out. And you're just like, just kidding. I'm yeah. doing this. Because when you stop, you're like, oh, I needed that. You know, like, I need to actually do this because if I don't, this is going to be awful. So yeah. it's, it's become a little, like, self-therapy in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the next challenge and something that I'm hoping for on my next album is I'm, I'm, like, much more honest in my music now than I've ever been. So, like, the next album, for example, it's been hard to release. It's been hard to write because it's very honest about like toxicity and getting rid of toxic people and like the album I released in 2016 was probably the first time I started talking about that versus a boy breaking my heart you know what I mean and so yeah this next album is definitely like there's a handful of songs that's mostly about that like being treated poorly and, and having to walk away from that even if it's like a very valuable relationship yeah there's like 5,000 more questions I could ask you, yes. but I feel like other, if, if we don't stop now, we'll go on for like 
three more hours. So I know. I want to thank you so much for being so open throughout this whole podcast and for sharing your journey, your experience, your struggles. And um, I also just want to acknowledge you know, the last thing you said, which was very much about getting that diagnosis and putting a name to it and being able to finally like realize the signs, the symptoms and what you're going through. That happened for me as well with anxiety. And I think for a lot of people who may be struggling and they're not quite sure what's going on, it makes a huge difference to have something to refer to and know that you're not just like going crazy or like feeling low and it shouldn't be used as a, as an excuse or anything, but it is helpful just to be able to kind of categorize what's going on. And it allows you, I think, to get more in touch with what's going on. So I'm really glad that you shared that as well, because that's like a very important part of my journey. So it's cool to see other people experiencing the same thing, but you gave such a good teaser for your upcoming music. <laughs> I, love that. I love it. Where can we connect with you until then and listen to your music? Yeah, so I'm on all the streaming services, Paulina Vo. Um, and on Instagram, I'm Vobot. Uh, it's robot with a V. Very, very clever of me. Um, just kidding. <laughs> and, uh, everywhere else, like PaulinaVo.com and then like on Facebook, it's Paulina Vo Music. But um, yeah, you can just Google my name and I'm, I'm there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paulina, for coming on today and have a magnificent rest of the day. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. You're the best.